children, here's a verse for you. It comes from the book of Psalms. God, you shaped me inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Children, will you repeat that with me? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Go ahead and say it out loud. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And here's the second part. Because God don't make no junk. Okay? Because God don't make no junk. All right. Those children, the, those of you that are going to children's church, you can be dismissed. So... The psalm that I spoke of and referred to was Psalm 139, and it is a psalm that is written by King David. He's going to be our focus for the next several months coming up to Thanksgiving. We're going to learn a lot about David and about his life, his faith, his journey with God, but more so we're going to learn a lot more about the God who loved David. And in so doing, we're also going to learn an awful lot about how our faith journey also continues as David's did, and we're going to learn how much God wants to be a part of our lives. We begin our study today by identifying five foundations uh, of a life that is fearfully and wonderfully made, five ingredients. I call them foundations. They're foundations because these are, are items over which you and I have little or absolutely no control. And yet, God is sovereign. As we sang in that song this morning, God is always working. He's always working. And therefore, He is working even in those times in which we do not see him working. He is in control even when we seem as though our life is out of control. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel today. We're going to put the verses on the screen. And as I read through these verses, I want you to look to see if you can identify the five foundations over which David had no control, which also mean things that we do not have control over. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed here stands before the Lord. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. We're going to be looking at that in more depth in a couple of weeks. It is a really troubling phrase, isn't it? But we'll, we'll get to that, don't worry. And so it says, So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Did you identify any of those foundations? Well, let's go look at them. The first one, verse 1, it's the foundation that is called heritage. David is the son of Jesse, and that is of the tribe of Judah. Now, a little bit of a history lesson here. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And God chose Abraham, and through Abraham, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. And so that blessing passed from Abraham, then to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and so it went from Jacob to the fourth of his 12 sons, uh, that would be the son called Judah. And Judah was the tribe from which the Messiah would come. Now what's happening here at this point in time is that Israel's first king, King Saul, actually came from the tribe of Benjamin. So in those days, astute students of prophecy and of the Abrahamic promise understood that something was going to have to happen in order for the, the, the blessing to pass from the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah. And of course, Saul ultimately proved himself unfit to be a king, and so God leads Samuel to Bethlehem to the son of Jesse to fulfill that promise. So this is what is happening here. Now, as this is happening, of course, David is oblivious to all of that. 
God is orchestrating these events while David is out caring for sheep. He has no clue as to what is happening. All David knows is that uh, he is the youngest son of Jesse and he lives in rural Bethlehem. The point I want to make in, in this explanation is that we do not choose our heritage. We don't choose our ethnicity, our race, our country of origin. We don't even choose the, the, the time of our lives. The fact that we were born in the 21st century. We have no choice over those sorts of things. I had no choice over the home in which I was raised. I had no choice over the fact that I, I lived with a mother whose favorite word was ufta. And every Christmas, we had lutefisk. And thankfully, she made other food in addition to lutefisk. But that was the home in which I was raised. Do you think I would have chosen Ingebretsen as my last name if I had a choice? But I didn't have a choice. You see, our heritage is something over which we have no control. Now, some of you come from a godly heritage, and you can trace your faith back to a parent and a grandparent and perhaps even more than that, how wonderful that is. But some of you have come from a rather dysfunctional heritage. There are addictions, there's divorces, there are pains, and there are scars, scars in your soul because of what you experienced in your upbringing. And here's what I want you to understand about this first foundation. God will build, he will build a great life upon your heritage. In this church, I am astounded that the number of generations that are still part of the church here, it is so wonderful. And if you're the recipient of a godly heritage, would you covenant before the Lord that you are going to follow in that and that you're going to instill that in, in your children so that it will continue as we saw up here just a few minutes ago? Covenant before the Lord to do that. But if you come from a, a heritage that has been very painful and dysfunctional, I, I want you to know that it, it, you have to come to the point in your life where you cease boxing with God over your heritage. You just have to accept the fact that, all right, that, that's what God permitted me to experience. However, I want you to know that God is always working. He is a miracle worker. He is a way maker. This is who God is. And God loves to redeem those scars and to bring healing and to show His power in the midst of that brokenness. And so I would encourage you today, put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to begin a new legacy. I'm going to break what those strongholds have been, and by the power of God in my life, I'm going to establish a new trajectory for my life and for our family. That's the first foundation. No control, but God is sovereign, and He will use it if you permit him to have access to it. Here's the second foundation. Verse 11, it's called birth order. David is the youngest of eight sons. Imagine that, being the youngest boy with seven older brothers. Just think about all the gobbies that he had on his head. 
Just think about all the bruises he had in his arms from being hit in the shoulder by his older brothers. Just think of all the hand-me-down clothes and robes that he wore. All the unenviable tasks. He got the worst tasks in the home because he, of course, was the youngest. Not only was he the, the fewest in years, but he was also the lowest in the rank. You see, in those days, rich people had servants. Poor people had sons. And so David is the youngest of eight. So the question is, does birth order mean anything? Well, studies have shown that, yes, it does. Probably one of the premier studies, older study now, by Kevin Lehman. And he wrote a book entitled, The Birth Order Book, Why You Are the Way You Are. Are there any firstborns in here today? Okay, all right. Here's what the book says about firstborns. Eldest children, it's commonly claimed, are natural leaders and problem solvers with strong organizational and reasoning skills. 21 of the first 23 American astronauts were firstborns, and they are well represented amongst Rhodes Scholars and university professors. Older siblings oftentimes have more responsibility placed upon them. They hear things such as, get your brother for me, will you? Can you help your sister with her socks? They also experience higher expectations. You need to set an example for your little uh, siblings. And it's also tempting to expect the oldest child to be the third parent. And so those are some of the things that happens with the firstborn. Well, what about middle children? Linda Dunlap is an expert on uh, birth order, and this is what she writes about middle kids. They are said, are there any middle children here? Okay. See if this describes you. Middle kids are said to be great negotiators and peacemakers with laid-back attitudes and a love of socializing. As such, they're thought to be natural schmoozers and consensus builders when they grow up. They're most likely to move far away from home once they grow up, partly because they're seeking a clear identity after having their early years sandwiched between the sibs. It is often said as well that middle kids can suffer from the firstborn's high achievement, long shadow. And because of that, they can be prone to rebelliousness. And then we come to the lastborn. Any lastborns here? Yeah. You know, Matt, I just thought this has to be you. <laughs> it just has to be you. Uh, they, they, they said the lastborn have the most experienced parents, of course. And as it says, that uh, they're least likely to be disciplined because their mom and dad are then, they're just, they're too laid back or worn down to, to freak over every infraction that occurs. Uh, popular wisdom has it that the youngest children are doted upon and because of it become adept at wrapping people around their little fingers and they are the fun of the party. They can clown to get attention. And, of course, um, uh, this is in very broad strokes as we think about these uh, children. The point being, we don't choose our birth order, do we? We don't choose our place in the family. We don't choose the size of our family. All of that is beyond our control. 
And it is true that our place in the family may give to us some general characteristics that we live with for the rest of our lives. And as we think about that, it's important for us to look at verse 7 of chapter 16, where we're told that God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God chooses and God uses people because of what's internal in their heart. He doesn't choose people based upon their place in the birth order. It's a reminder to us that in a very real sense, we might be the forgotten child in, in our large family. David was. Do you have any other sons? Oh, that's right, I got one who's caring for sheep. I mean, it's amazing, is it not? I mean, Jesse didn't even think of David. Oh, that's right. He had to be reminded of, of another son. And the point is that, you know what? David was the forgotten son. And you might be the forgotten child in your family, but you are never, ever forgotten by God. Because he's not looking at birth order. He's looking at what's inside your heart. And so we come to the third foundation, its appearance. Verse 12, and again in verse 18, we're told this, that David was a handsome man. Of course, we know this King uh, Saul had been very tall. And in those days, and I think to some extent it continues today, I'll, show in, I'll share in just a minute, that, that appearance as well as size made for a, a good image for a king. Well suited if you are tall and if you are handsome. It is true that birth order can shape our lives, but so can our physical appearance. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Blink, discovered that the majority of company CEOs are tall, over six feet in height, leading him to infer that height is a key factor in choosing leaders. Now, the point I'm making here is that we really don't choose our physical appearance. Uh, it is true, uh, we have some control over our appearance, you know, uh, our, our weight, our neatness, our hair, our physical conditioning. But let's be honest, our genetics are huge when it comes to our physical appearance. I remember in high school, there was a, a classmate of mine whose name was Tim. Uh, Tim uh, played football and basketball, he, he, uh, but he loved automobiles. He really loved being in the garage. He was six feet five. I was five, nine and a half on a good day. And, and I tell you what, I loved athletics and I wasn't so good in the garage. And you know, he would spend hours in the garage and I would spend hours in the gym. Tim and I used to wish that we could change bodies because when you're six, five and you're trying to work under a car, it just becomes awkward. Your elbows are always getting bumped and that sort of thing. He says, Dean, I wish I could be your height. And I said, Tim, I wish I could be your height. Unfortunately, we didn't choose our physical appearance. It's something out of our control. And so that's what we learn here. This is, a, this is a, a, a foundation over which God is sovereign. But once again, it's so important for us to realize that God values integrity over image. You know, today, unfortunately, image seems to be so incredibly important. You got to buy name brands. Did you know that there are some cultures where when a person will buy a 
piece of clothing that is very expensive, that they will not take the price tag off that garment. They'll wear the garment with the price tag on it just to communicate to everyone else how much they paid for that piece of clothing. Image. Image is overrated. David was handsome, but he was chosen not because he was handsome. He was chosen because of the integrity of his heart. It has been said that the Apostle Paul had very little physical beauty and that Jesus was a rather plain-looking Jewish man. And so we've got the third foundation, that of our appearance. Number four is that of our talents and our abilities. Now, David is talented here. He's a musician. He's a composer. He became the, the author of the comprehensive hymnal for all the synagogues and all the places of worship in Israel. Uh, he was the national worship leader of Israel. Musician and a composer. His abilities with the sling indeed gave him an advantage with Goliath. Now, talents and abilities, of course, are given at birth. We talk about God's common grace. This is the grace and the goodness that God bestows upon the entire world without regard to their spiritual condition. And I believe that talents and abilities are, are just part of that common grace that, that God gives to people. Once again, genetics plays a huge factor in the talents and abilities that, that people have. And so we realize that it, it is true that, you know, we can, uh, we can improve, we can uh, grow in some areas, we can practice, but we ultimately, we, we don't choose our talents and abilities. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how many art classes that I will take. I will always draw stick men that look like space aliens. That's just what it's going to look like. But here's what I have also learned as we look at David's life. God will use talents that are surrendered to him. You see, the temptation with the talent is to say, well, this is who I am. And you might forget that God gave you that talent. And when you have a talent, you might be tempted to say, well, this is who I am. And I don't need God's spirit to... Uh, to utilize that talent. It is true, you can do that. But I want you to know that if you want crowns in heaven, and if you want to make a difference in the world today, then even your talents need to be surrendered to him. Now, David's musical talents gave him access to Saul. This is really significant. And his musical abilities soothed Saul's tormented spirit. Notice that it was those talents that gave him access. Now, not only was he ministering then to Saul, but he was also learning some valuable things that would be helpful when he later became the king. His talents gave him access to see some of the things about what's going on in the kingdom. Likewise for us, our talents, our abilities, even our education, 
what happens when, as we uh, are good stewards of those, that, that we are given access to places and to people where you can be used of God to communicate his love. There are people that you have access to that I or others who are staff in this church will never have access to. But you do because of your training, your abilities, your education. Do you realize that you have been placed there for such a time as this? To be light in darkness. And so your talents and your abilities can be used if you surrender them to him. And that leads us to the fifth foundation, which is that of our life experiences. Now, David's life experiences included being a, a shepherd. Uh, he learned to care for sheep, and that was going to be helpful later when he uh, became the shepherd king of Israel. As he was caring for the sheep, he also found occasion uh, to protect them against a, a bear and a lion. That experience helped him when he came up against Goliath. Remember that little phrase in The Wizard of Oz? Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. You know, if you go to the Minnesota Zoo, you go to the, you know, the monkey cage or the orangutan exhibit or the sea lions, and you watch them play, you know, and it's so, they're so playful, and you smile and you laugh. But when you go by the bear exhibit or the cat, the big cat exhibit, you don't laugh. You stand in awe because you realize how powerful these creatures are. And David faced down a lion and a bear as he's caring for the sheep. And that gave him the courage to stand up against Goliath. And you see what's happening here is that God is using those life experiences of David to prepare him for a great ministry that he was going to have. The point being that, that we choose some of our life experiences, but not all of them. It, it is true that our, our choices uh, do create experiences of life, and they also create a trajectory for our life, but there's so many experiences that we have over which we have no control. An accident, a disease, an illness, just to name a few. Chuck Swindoll says this, never discount anything in your past. God can pick it up and use it in the most incredible of ways. You never know when something that happened years ago will open a door of opportunity into the future. God can draw what may seem to be a most insignificant part of your past and put you in exactly the right place to use that particular gift or skill. You see, I truly believe that Romans 8.28 is true. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who have been called by him. So we've identified five ingredients, five things about our lives over which we have no control. You know, I'm not a very good cook, and uh, if I were to take five ingredients to create a dessert, I, I could follow the instructions 
But at the end of the preparation, you would eat it, and it would be very average, very mediocre. However, if a Rachel Ray or a Bobby Flay or Emeril were to take those same five ingredients and he were to, they were to create a dessert and you were to find that on the menu, order it and don't share it. Eat it all yourself because it would be delectable. All the difference in the world, same ingredients, but what they would do would be so different from what I would do. You see, it depends on who the chef is. And so, as we think about our lives, you know, there are, in, there are things over which we have no control. But I want you to know today that God is always working. The last phrase in verse 18, it is described of David that the Lord was with him. I want you to know today that even when you feel frustrated over the things which you have no control, God is sovereign. He is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is the greatest change agent that this world has ever seen. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing that song one more time. And as we sing it, I pray that you would think about your life. And I ask you today, would you stop boxing with God over the things over which you have no control and accept Him as the sovereign God who will be the way maker for you. 